Live from New York, I'm Richard Quest in for Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Macron positive. The French president has COVID-19. Now other European leaders self-isolate. Stimulus signs as lawmakers edge towards a deal in Washington. And a Bitcoin bounce. The cryptocurrency has hit an all-time high on Thursday. It's Thursday. Let's make a move. Welcome to First Move, live from New York. I'm Richard Quest. I begin to look at the markets and U.S. futures are pointing to a higher open, a third of a percent to half a percent across the U.S. market. Tech is set to push further into record territory as global investors monitor ongoing stimulus talks in Washington. Stocks are mostly higher in Europe and in Asia across the board, with the exception of the FTSE in London. In Washington, lawmakers are still negotiating a deal. It's believed to be worth $900 billion and the talks could go on into the weekend. And newly released jobless numbers show the importance of getting the deal done. Greater than expected, 885,000 Americans filed for the first time benefits last week. More than 20 million people are still seeking some type of unemployment assistance. And millions will see their benefits end next week unless there is an agreement. As lawmakers debate the stimulus, the Fed is offering unwavering support for the economy. The central bank has assured investors again on yesterday that it won't ease up on monetary aid, totaling some $120 billion in terms of QE per month. The pound and the euro are at multi-year highs against the dollar, despite new pessimism on the Brexit trade deal. The UK says a no deal is still the most likely outcome. The Bank of England's keeping its stimulus unchanged today as it awaits the outcome of the talks. Also today, EU officials say COVID vaccinations are set to begin right after Christmas. So they say. Now to the drivers. And the French President Emmanuel Macron is in isolation for seven days after he tested positive for coronavirus. His most recent contacts include the Portuguese and Spanish prime ministers. Melissa Bell joins me live from uh, Paris. Melissa, you know, I would have thought the Elysee Palace would be very careful about who gets close to Macron under what circumstances. So this is just another indication that anyone can get it at any time. That's right, uh, Richard. I think the idea that no one is immune and yet... Uh, The measures that have been put in place in places like the Elysee are proving effective. If you look at the diary of Emmanuel Macron over the course of the last few days, as of course we all did as we heard the news that because he'd had symptoms, he'd had to be tested and been found to be positive. uh, The amount of leaders, the number of people that come through the Elysee is quite uh, impressive. Of course, the entire French cabinet, all of France's government ministers received by the French president on Wednesday, and yet none of them declared as contact cases, Richard, because social distancing measures were in place. Similarly, The president of the European Council, Charles Michel, received at the Elysee Palace on Monday. He is not technically a contact case, again, because of the social distancing measures, although he has announced that he is quarantining as a matter of 
precaution. On the other hand, you mentioned a moment ago those leaders uh, who are having to take measures to protect themselves and others. The prime ministers of Spain and Portugal have confirmed that they're cancelling events over the course of the next few days after being received at the Elysee Palace this week in order to make sure that they can infect no one else. So yes, a reminder really of the fact that this can affect everyone and a reminder also, I think, Richard, of these persistently high infection rates that we have in Europe at the moment. What we've seen over the course of the last few weeks weeks was not the uh, lightening of the restrictions that are in place in a number of European countries, as authorities had hoped, but rather they're strengthening. So, Melissa, this idea of vaccinations, uh, the EU had initially said that they wouldn't be meeting before the 29th. Now they've changed that. That's right, that's been changed. It was confirmed earlier on by Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission. This is Europe's moment, she tweeted, because, of course, what she announced was that between the 26th, 28th and 29th of December, Europeans, members of the European Union, will begin getting uh, their vaccinations. They'd watched with a great deal of frustration over the course of the last couple of weeks. The British get theirs. The Americans begin to get theirs. The European Medicines Agency wasn't meant uh, to pronounce itself on the Pfizer vaccine until the 29th of December. That was already being fast-tracked. In fact, they've managed to go even faster. So from the 27th across the EU, uh, people will begin at last getting those vaccines so needed to try and raise some of those partial lockdowns I mentioned a moment ago. A cold but clear and beautiful looking day in Paris. Uh, thank you, Melissa Bell, joining us. Now, congressional leaders in Washington say they are close to agreeing to a $900 billion COVID relief deal. The package is expected to include a new round of stimulus checks, funding for small businesses and vaccine distribution. John Harwood is with me. This measure, these measures that are being put in place, we hear it's on, we hear it's off, we hear it's close, we hear it's not. What is the current status? I think it's going to happen, uh, but it may not happen today. Uh, we may get a, um, a continuing resolution that is a punt from Congress to continue government funding since government funding is supposed to run out at midnight tonight in order to let them keep negotiating. But those negotiations got a powerful boost from the number that was just announced from the Labor Department uh, a few minutes ago, which is that the number of people filing first-time state unemployment claims has gone up again to 885,000, the job market is weakening. We may get a negative jobs number in the month of December. JP Morgan is predicting uh, the economy will shrink in the first quarter of 2021. All those are reasons that members in both parties are focusing around the need to provide some support for individuals in the economy overall. I mean, Nancy Pelosi some weeks ago said, look, we're not going to do a bitty part deal so that we can just get some things through. It's important to get a, a total package. But but the total package isn't possible. So really, it is a bitty deal with things like individual payments, moratorium on evictions, uh, student debt and the like. But the two big issues that of state and uh, help to cities and states and uh, liability is not going to be covered. That's right. They're not comparable issues. Republicans are uh, interested in uh, offering some protection uh, for corporations against the, the theoretical uh, problem, which hasn't actually materialized to big lawsuits. Democrats are trying to provide some financing for state and local governments that have been decimated in their revenues by the pandemic. 
And if they don't get some help, they're looking at uh, significant state and local layoffs, which will be a drag on the recovery. Nevertheless, staunch Republican opposition to doing that uh, has prevented that from happening. Democrats are hoping that some of these other elements of the bill sure, uh, will be backdoor ways of getting aid to state and local John, governments. Yes. Why, why wouldn't Republicans want some state and local help. I realize their argument is that the majority of states in a bad way, California, New York, for example, Massachusetts, are Democrat states. But Republican states are also in a bad way. Their budgets are also hurting. There's no question about it. And Republican governors are asking for help as well. But uh, as an ideological matter, uh, Republicans have uh, staked their uh, claim as the anti-government party, the smaller government party. And they're trying to make the argument that uh, states can tighten their belts and, and this will force state governments to shrink, which they think would be a good thing. Uh, and uh, Democrats simply have not been able to overcome that resistance. I think a part of it also is that a Democratic president's about to take over, uh, and the more money you have uh, bailing out uh, state and local governments, that means the economy will be better under a Democratic president. Republicans don't like that. And second of all, uh, the deficit will be bigger, and Republicans, especially when Democratic presidents are in power, uh, say that uh, opposing deficits is a cardinal principle for them much less so when a Republican's in power, as we've seen for uh, President Trump. But nevertheless, that's how they think. And uh, they've got the power to make that stick for now. Uh, what Democrats are hoping is that after uh, they get this package, which I believe they will get before Christmas, uh, that Joe Biden, as the incoming president, maybe with a Democratic Senate, if they win those two Georgia runoffs, or maybe not, maybe even with a Republican Senate, that there will be momentum behind the beginning of his administration and they can get another bite at the apple with a, another COVID relief bill. Don't know if that's going to happen, but that's uh, the comfort they take in not getting what they want right now. Thank you, John Howard. John is appreciate it. As Americans wait on that deal, the U.S. is recording a record number of deaths for COVID, hospitalizations and confirmed cases. And it's waiting on another critical development, the emergency authorization of the Moderna vaccine. CNN's Dan Simon reports. Here in California, a shot of hope. As nurses, doctors and other essential healthcare workers receive the first dose of the coronavirus vaccine. I'm very proud to stand here and get the first vaccine here at UCLA Health to also make sure to spread the message that this vaccine is important for everyone, but especially for those who are black, Latino and other people of color. But alongside the arrival of a vaccine, a dangerous surge with new cases, hospitalizations and coronavirus related deaths in the state setting records, according to data from the California Department of Public Health. I want to be very clear. Our hospitals are under siege and our model shows no end in sight. The worst is still before us. The entire San Francisco Bay Area will be under the state's stay-at-home order for the next three weeks beginning tomorrow. This after the region's intensive care bed availability plunged to just below 13% Wednesday. Across the country, many hospitals are on the brink, with over 113,000 coronavirus-related hospitalizations across the United States, a record. And as new cases continue to rise, vaccine distribution could, with time, help change the course of the crisis. In just hours, an FDA panel is expected to discuss emergency use authorization for Moderna's candidate. If cleared, federal officials say around 6 million initial doses will be shipped. If Moderna gets the EUA, which I hope they will, 
that you will, by the time you get to the end of December, have 40 million doses for 20 million people to be able to administer. While there have been few reported issues with vaccines administered so far, Alaska health officials reported one healthcare worker had an allergic reaction to Pfizer's vaccine Tuesday, despite having no history of vaccine allergies. I was concerned about an anaphylactic reaction, so gave her uh, the standard treatment of a dose of intramuscular epinephrine, and uh, she responded immediately. Health experts say the occasional allergic reaction is to be expected and urge Americans with allergies to check the vaccine's product label. What we need to find out is what specifically seems to be inducing this allergic reaction. But remember, even for this patient or person who's never had an allergic reaction before, she would have been instructed to, to hang around for about 15 minutes, during which time, usually, if you're going to have a severe allergic reaction, you have one. And Simon reporting now the stories making headlines around the world. After days of silence, the Russian president's responding to the exclusive CNN Bellingcat investigation on the poisoning of Alexei Navalny without ever referring to the opposition leader by name. Vladimir Putin said if Russian special forces wanted to kill him, they would have finished the job. Japan's prime minister is expressing remorse for dining out with a group of friends during the pandemic on Monday. Yoshidu Suga ate at a restaurant in a group of seven people, and that breached the government's own guidelines. All the guests were over 70 years old. The prime minister said the diners observed social distancing. A powerful winter storm system has dumped more than more snow in parts of the northeastern U.S. than all of last year's winter season, and it's brought transportation to across the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut to a standstill. It's caused major pileups in some areas. CNN's Bryn Gingas is with us in New York, which is subject to winter storms. Good to see you out there in the cold. I, br- I sort of battled my way in uh, this morning too. Is it over? Is or is there more yeah. snow on the way? You know what? It's actually tapering off here in New York City, at least. Of course, there's snow going, uh, still going on north of us in the Boston area, but it's still snowing, as you can see around me. What's really been a big deal here, Richard, is the wind, and there have been some serious wind gusts that were just snow and ice mix, so pretty painful if you're actually standing in it. But like I said, the snow's sort of tapering off now. It's getting a little bit lighter, which makes it nice for people here in Central Park to get out. We've seen a lot of dogs happily playing in this fresh powder. Uh, certainly people enjoying if they're able to get out and be in it. This is this is a good time to do it. Uh, we were hearing that Central Park, this part of uh, the Northeast, was expected to get about a foot of snow. I think we're going to be a little shy of that. Uh, but certainly significant totals here of snowfall uh, causing disruptions, really, when it came to transportation, major trans- transportation in New York City basically shut down and then we had an incident uh, just south of us at the Baltimore airport where a plane coming from Las Vegas landed safely but then skidded off the rain uh, the um runway rather uh, as it was trying to taxi to the gate uh, we're hearing that there are no injuries reported the passengers were able to get off that plane safely and get into the to the airport terminal uh, but like I said there have been a lot of accidents uh, pileups that have happened uh, on the highways and we have seen just people skidding out as well just on the New York City street so if there's anything good to come of this pandemic Richard it's that you know a lot of people mm-hmm. are fortunate enough to be able to work from yep. home a lot of Absolutely. schools are able to transition 
addition to that remote learning. So it's keeping people mostly home, which is going to allow, of course, plows to get out and clear these streets. So it's a lot safer later today in New York City, at least, and, and uh, definitely into tomorrow. And, and, and you're right. I mean, no longer the excuse of, well, it's snowing. I can't work. You've been working from home for the last nine months. Yeah. You can carry on doing it. Brent, good to see you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us now. You can see my attempt to save a snowman at the end of the show. Yeah, true. Still to come on First Move, Chipotle's CEO joins me. Restaurants are struggling to survive. The, uh, the, the wave of shutdowns continue. So what do you do? And until there's a mass vaccination, we need mass testing. I speak to a company working with an American Airlines to offer widespread pre-flight screening in a moment. Welcome back. It's First Move, live from a snowy New York City. I'm Richard Crest in for Julia this morning. The Nasdaq and the S&P look set to hit fresh records in early trading. It's the stimulus and the vaccine and its optimism that's being caused. Tech stocks, this is the 52nd record close of the year on Wednesday. And evidence that the U.S. economy is weakening and needs government help. First-time jobless claims came in at 885,000, the highest level since September. The numbers out yesterday showed retail sales falling in October and November too. And Treasury yields are losing earlier gains after today's data. The 10-year and the 30-year bonds are both down around about 1% on the yield. However, Bitcoin has hit fresh record highs. It's over 23,000 for the first time. We'll talk more about Bitcoin in just a moment. Brian Belsky is with me, the chief investment strategist at BMO Capital Markets. It's good to see you, sir. Um, you know, what I think, well, what's fascinating here is two distinct trends. One is market optimism over a vaccine and later next year. The other is the pessimism of getting through the winter, which is the dominant at the moment. Well, good morning. It's befuddling, just like it's befuddling uh, that uh, you have snow in New York and here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, we have no snow. So let's just add that to the list. But I think this, Richard, we're in a tug of war with respect to timing and emotion and this transition to normalcy. Obviously, it's a blessing. It's wonderful news that we have two vaccines. I think we're going to probably have more than that heading into mid-year next year. But obviously, with you see more and more states shutting down and you see Mr. Biden talking about a potential national mask mandate, uh, I, we believe uh, that we're going to see a massive stimulus package uh, when Mr. Biden and Ms. Yellen get control. Uh, and we do think that the likelihood of a national shutdown increases. Be that as it may, we have to understand that U.S. stock market is the best asset in the world. North American stocks, you add Canada to that as well, uh, are the best assets in the world from an equity perspective. That's why the market's going up, Richard. And I think but, next year is going to be another good year. Right. Now, I saw that. 15% on the S&P is the sort of numbers that you're, you're, you're talking about. But is this a moment for risk on? 
Great question. Uh, you know, you have to think about where risk is, Richard. You talked about bonds. And, and when you're an investor, you want to buy scarcity and sell capacity. Lots of bonds out there, lots of fixed income instruments. We've had another year of massive inflows into fixed income and actually net outflows from equities. How can you have a top in the stock market, Richard, when you're selling? And so as I talk to institutional clients around the world, nine out of 10 are still negative. They're not, they're not believing that this market rally, we think that there's more move to go, especially given the fact that we have savings rates at all-time highs in the United well, States, and I think we're going to continue to spend money. What's pushing that? I mean, what is pushing the, you know, when, when you look at companies, if, if we just do it on pure fundamentals of earnings, the next three months, the next quarter, Q4 uh, will be a bit, bit, bit wishy-washy. Q1 is going to be ugly because of lockdowns. So what is the, the technical justification for this market? You're looking at 2021 and 2022 in terms of recovering the overall earnings base. You're, an investor should never look at quarterly earnings. They need to look forward and they need to listen to what the company's saying and really do bottoms up stock picking. I think the next 10 years of this bull market, and we've been on record by saying the U.S. stock market's in the midst of a 20-year secular bull market that started in 2009. We had the reset in March of this year. The next 10 years is really going to be driven by bottoms up stock picking. It's all about what the companies are doing, what kind of product. We're going to see new leadership in that. And that's what you you have to believe right. in, Richard. Obviously, first quarter is going to be ugly in terms of what's happening sure. with respect to growth, but we think higher prices are going to be the result. At what point does Bitcoin and crypto become part of an of a orthodox portfolio? Listen, you know, I, I'm, I'm concerned that too many people are chasing Bitcoin. Think of Bitcoin right now, Richard, like any other momentum play that we've seen in the market the last few years. Momentum on the downside for the dollar, momentum on the upside for gold. Bitcoin is clearly a, a darling in terms of mm-hmm. near-term momentum. I would be worried about Bitcoin. We would not be adding it to portfolios at these levels. One thing that does worry me is, as I just look at the, uh, at, the, at the landscape, and many, myself included, you know, are, are looking at rebalancing pensions. It's that time of the year, isn't it? You look at what you made. And, and I think we can agree, Brad, the bull market didn't really end in March. I mean, it was a technical end to the bull market, like there was a technical recession. But the speed of that recovery, which we're seeing beautifully on there, I mean, it just shows it really was, it was sort of a, I, I hate to say a blip because it was, it was so devastating to people's lives. But you know what I mean. We like to we explain it as a control-alt-delete when you reset your computer, yeah, if those of you idea. that know what yeah. a PC is, and that's what it was. Yeah. And, and we think that's why, fundamentally, the U.S. stock market looks the best, because we have the best companies, and that's why the market went up. All right. Now, if, if, we, if we then put this together for, for global markets, I noticed London, is, London is, it hasn't recovered anywhere near, but at the same time, Japan is above and beyond. And yet, Japan, I mean... It's almost impossible to know. You don't want to miss it, but you don't want to risk it. Right. It's this whole fear of missing out. But from a fundamental perspective, you have to be worried about emerging markets in Europe just because of where the fundamentals are coming from, where the earnings and sales are coming from. And it's way too consensus, Richard, to like those areas. So we would caution on emerging markets in Europe in particular. High growth stocks, dividend yield stocks. Where should you be looking balancing towards? 
You know, we have a controversial call where we think you should be buying both growth and value stocks. It's a diversified portfolio. Remember, Richard, when growth is scarce, that's growth outperforms. Hey, that's everything. I mean, growth <laughs> and yield. I mean, that's just buy the market. Well, no, it's, it's actually buying themes. So in, in yield, you want to buy, in like financials, you want to buy scalable assets like the big money center banks, right. brokers, and, and asset managers. In tech, you still want to buy those secular growth stocks, Richard, because we are going to have a stay-at-home trade that's going to work in the first quarter, and you want exposure there. Yeah, Brian, very grateful for you, sir. Very grateful. I mean, I, I freely admit I've been looking at my own pension fund and um, what I've learned from you this morning has helped me hugely. Not that you've given it, you know, you know what I'm saying. Uh, it, it's good to have you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Always Thank you, my Always have a good Christmas. Always remember, nothing we give you on this program is ever actual advice as to what you should and shouldn't do. But what we do give you is the very best opinions. Like you heard there from Brian, it doesn't get much better than the sort of advice you've just heard or the guidance that you've heard there that'll help you make your decisions, what you're going to do with your portfolio, your pension fund and the like. We'll have an opening bell coming up next. We've made it. We will have the opening bell. It's going to be a strong, I say strong. NASDAQ will go to a record. The rest that you can see on the screen there, that's in a moment or two. It is first move. Ah, that's John Tuttle at the New York Stock Exchange ringing the opening bell on behalf of Skills, which is the first publicly traded mobile esports platform. Um, it's a gaming platform of one description or another. We're expecting a, a, perhaps a third of a percent, maybe up to a half a percent of open. Well, we've got half a percent so far on the open, which is we're off to the races, so to speak, 149. And they're rising to records. This is despite greater than expected jobless claims last week. Investors are counting on Congress to seal a deal on stimulus to help Americans in need. Stocks also rising on optimism. The FDA will approve Moderna. Uh, soon after a key hearing, that'll happen today as well. The Nasdaq's at a record. Oil, our old friend oil. Nine months highs on hopes for stimulus. Stimulus creates industry. Industry requires fuel. Fuel requires drilling. Drilling requires oil. You get the way that works. And there you are. 51, look at that. Brent crude over 51. West Texas, 49. Only a few months ago, all seems a long way back. The US IPO market suffering a rare setback during the bumper December for new issues. Context logic which runs the online retailer Wish, fell 16% on its first day of trading yesterday on the Nasdaq. I'm guessing that was a mispricing on the wrong side by the underwriters of Wish. U.S. congressional leaders say a stimulus deal is nearby. It may be too little too late for many in the hospitality business. 10,000 restaurants have closed for good over the past three months, according to an industry group. Online delivery orders have become a lifeline for restaurants, even brands as well established as Chipotle. Brian Nicole is with me, the CEO of Chipotle. Um, good to see you, as always, Brian. Thank you for, for, for t- taking time and speaking. This online delivery, this, these e-deliverers, um, they work, but they come at a price, and that price is a high premium for access to the app at an industry that already has low margins. Yeah, you know, so look, the delivery occasion has been a new occasion for Chipotle and uh, it's been proving to be very incremental. Uh, But yeah, it comes with additional cost. And, uh, you know, I think customers understand that. And so, you know, when they make the decision for that additional convenience of delivery, it will come with uh, a bit more cost for them. Um, Fortunately, 
there's other access modes, right? So we've got, you know, the ability to order ahead in our digital app and just come pick it up. Obviously, come into the restaurant, grab and go, and then eventually we'll get back to having a great seat for everybody. So when we get back to dining in restaurants, uh, they can dine in our restaurants. I know there's no choice. I realize this is just the way it's going. But how difficult is it now? There are greater lockdowns, obviously, in other parts of the world. And New York, for example, just stopped um, in dining. Uh, what do you do? I mean, this is more hurt and pain for your restaurants and your owners. Yeah, look, it's it's a, it's a tough situation all around. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of hope, I think, on the horizon uh, with seeing people getting the vaccine most recently. But, you know, in the near term, uh, we got to just do the right thing. And uh, in that case, you know, we will close the dining rooms or do whatever we need to do to do our part uh, to hopefully limit the spread. Um, you know, it's temporary. Right. And fortunately, a company like ours, you know, we've got the wherewithal to be able to deal with these temporary issues. Um, you know, the rest of the industry, right. I think, is going to continue to suffer with these stops and starts. Brian, Brian where do you stand on mandating vaccinations? I know it's a difficult issue, but it's an issue that every company, a CEO, I mean, that's why you get paid the big bucks and the stock options, because you have to consider these sort of issues. <laughs> so where do you stand, both you know, from management at headquarters, guest-facing staff in restaurants? Yeah, right now, uh, our approach is going to be one of highly encouraging people to take the vaccine. Um, you know, we're going to make sure that cost is not an issue for any of our employees to get the vaccine. And then also access won't be an issue. So uh, not we're not at the stage of mandating anything. However, uh, we are going to strongly encourage people to do it. Um, you know, the data looks amazing on the efficacy of it. And uh, from what we're hearing in regard to all the safety, based on all the people that are the experts to review this, um, there's no concern right. from a safety standpoint. So, um, so you know, we, we definitely are going to be big proponents of it. If we look forward now, um, you, you know, after the calamity of, of the various health issues some years ago, you know, the management's done a very good job of rebuilding the business, so to speak. And that is fully reflected in the share price at the moment. So what do you do next? What is the next trick that has to come out of the bag for you to push Chipotle to the next level? Well, look, fortunately for us, we have tremendous growth in front of us. You know, we have about 2,700 restaurants. Um, and I do believe the strategies that we are executing around running great restaurants with great speed, great culinary, uh, great customer experiences combined with our digital system uh, is going to continue to be uh, just a very powerful growth engine. And, you know, we'll continue to do some menu innovation. Um, you know, you might have heard us talking about our cauliflower rice. We just had our uh, smoked brisket going to test. Um, so. We'll, we'll sprinkle in the innovation when it comes to the menu, or as I like to call it, seasonal specialties. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, the good news is we can be building lots of restaurants. Uh, right. I see no reason why we can't have five or 6,000 restaurants in the United States. And when you think about our average unit volumes, today we're around 2.2 million. Uh, we'll definitely get back to our 2.5, and I think we're going to go well beyond that. So uh, we're going to have best-in-class margins. We're going to have best-in-class average unit volumes. And I think we've got a really special growth story when it comes to building new restaurants. So I'm optimistic about 2021. I'm optimistic about getting past 
this pandemic. And uh, I think we're just going to continue to do um, our strategies and execute them with excellence. And uh, that'll serve us well. It's snowing here in New York. I didn't have any breakfast. The talk of your smoked brisket testing sounds (laughs) to be extremely good. Send some my way. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Now, stimulus aside, another problem for the U.S. government is emerging. The U.S. government has confirmed that the massive hacking campaign against government networks is ongoing and federal officials are still struggling to understand the scope of the damage. Alex Marquardt is with us in Washington. I don't really understand this one. I sort of know it's extremely important. It's exceptionally complicated. Help. (laughs) <laughs> well, Richard, it is hard to find almost the superlatives that, that accurately capture the sophistication of this attack. What we're talking about is Russian hackers who have spent most of the year, we understand, inside U.S. government systems. And it wasn't until a couple of days ago that the U.S. federal government realized this. Put it this way. This is how a, a former National Security Agency intelligence official put it to me. Imagine you come home to find the burglars have been in your house for several months. Um, Um, And now you're going from room to room to figure out whether anything was stolen, anything was moved, anything has changed. That essentially is where the U.S. government is now trying to figure out the extent of the access. That could take months. It could take longer than that. The U.S. government may never know the full extent uh, of of the access by these Russian hackers. Uh, We have heard finally uh, in a joint statement from the FBI, from the intelligence community, from the cyber arm of the the, uh, Department of Homeland Security last night, saying, as I said, that they only uh, they only realized this essentially in the last several days. They went on to say that this is a developing situation. And while we continue to work to understand the full extent of this campaign, we know that this compromise has affected networks within the federal government. Richard, that's that's a bit of an understatement uh, when you see the number of clients who use this SolarWinds software. I I, I sort of see this going two ways here. On the one hand, the U.S. government needs to get to grips with it. But on the other hand, they don't want to tell people the full extent because that could A, make them look incompetent and B, create panic or concern about exactly what's happened. Well, frankly, they don't know the full extent. We only have a handful of departments or agencies that have admitted admitted that there has been any sort of compromise. Agriculture, the Department of Homeland Security, Commerce. uh, We understand, according to The Washington Post, Treasury as well. So they really are still trying to figure it out. Um, And, you know, of course, knives are going to come out. Accusations will be made about how this was missed. But the bottom line was this was such an extraordinarily sophisticated attack where the Russians were able to get into these systems via private software through these updates, through a back door, um, that, that the U.S. simply wasn't equipped to detect this. And now there are calls uh, for, for a response, understandably, against, uh, against Russia. We heard from President Trump's former uh, Homeland Security Advisor, Tom Bossert. He wrote in the New York Times in an op-ed that came out last night, President Trump must get past his grievances about the election and govern for the remainder of his term. This moment requires unity, purpose and discipline. We are sick, distracted and now under cyber attack. Leadership is essential. Richard, this will be one of the first and most serious issues that President-elect Biden will have to deal with when he comes into office. Sick, distracted and under cyber attack. Uh, Alex, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. From hacking back to the virus, the FDA approves a new at-home testing kit. We speak to the company's founder about he hopes at-home testing 
is going to help. In a moment, that's it. The new vaccine is being distributed and within months, many more will have it. That does not mean, say health experts, that the public should just ignore the levels of caution in the months ahead. We should celebrate the fact that the science has come through, but it is not over yet. We have a ways to go. We have to abide by the public health measures that we talk about all the time. This is not going to just turn around overnight. We have a ways to go. And public health measures is the bridge to get to the vaccine, which is going to get us out of this. And those public health measures include masks, of course, and more testing. Let's get Checked.com has a home testing kit. The company is partnered with American Airlines for passengers who need pre-flight testing on domestic flights. Peter Foley is the CEO and founder of Let's Get Checked. He joins us now. Uh, good to have you, sir. Thank you. The, the way in which your test works, it's one of these where you take it at home and you send it into your own labs and then you guarantee, well, you, you, you get the result back. I, I've done similar tests. And are you able to cope with the number of people now requiring tests. Um, <clears throat> thank you for having me today, Richard. Um, we, we are indeed. Um, <clears throat> I think what we're in the fortunate position that we set up the company as a, a home testing uh, provider. And uh, we've been operating for about five years now. Um, and we own the, the full supply chain around everything that we do. So from the manufacturing to the testing um, and everything in between. So we've been fortunate enough that we've been able to to scale with the demand uh, and to be able to support our partners and all of our customers on the market who who need this type of testing in the home because i the you know as i say i've used others similar ones and, and they're very good for travel in that sense because mm-hmm. you know you're going to need a pcr within 72 hours or 50 48 hours or whatever it is of travel you can plan you can buy it ahead you can get it you can send it back and you can get the result where else do you see big moves and growth <clears throat> from a from a testing perspective in, in general or specific to what we're doing what you're doing in terms of the testing perspective yeah, so the the travel is obviously a, is a huge one. Um, you know, like ultimately the guidelines and people recommend that people don't travel, but when you absolutely need to, uh, we're supporting that both from a domestic and international perspective. But you know, like we're we're seeing workforces slowly starting to come back in, in some instances. Um, like big employers supporting local uh, governments, so um, states throughout the United States. Um, and then other international governments as well. Right. So um, it's, it's quite diverse in, ter- in terms of uh, who needs this type of testing. It's essentially everybody. If we, I mean, if we move away from COVID and we look at the other forms of testing that Let's Get Checked can do, um, what other areas are there? Because the, the, you can't, I mean, you, I, I know you have other health aspects to the company, but nothing really comes close to the growth possibilities and structures of COVID. So how do you, once you've got me through the door with COVID, how do you keep me there with something else? Look, I I think um, what COVID has done is probably brought telehealth um, and the need for virtual care and also diagnostics in the home for maybe five or 10 years. Um, previously, there there might have been slow adoption, uh, a big question mark as to, you know, how sticky was it and will people use this for the future? And 
I think what, what will come out of the back of this pandemic is workforces will operate entirely different forever. Um, and there will be a continuing need for, for telehealth in its truest sense. Um, and I think it's important to not forget that like through this pandemic, the other things right. don't go away. So whether it's colon cancer, diabetes, thyroid disorders, these are all things that need frequent testing, need to be tested in the home, and people are in a position right now uh, that they, they can't get access to these kind of things. So there is a there is an underlying right. uh, testing that needs to continue to happen, and that will, will uh, how workforces continue to operate, that will be forever different and uh, support the type of business model that, that we provide. Peter, good to have you on the programme, sir. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Now, first move continues. Bitcoin continues to surge. Record fresh highs. This rally never ending. What's behind it? Dubai getting ready to host an event that's set to be one of the world's largest events since the start of the pandemic. More than 190 countries are set to showcase their cultures and latest innovations. It's Expo 2020. It'll be a six-month event and it starts in October next year. John Defterius has a peek. At the Australia Pavilion, construction work continues on a structure that will bring a little bit of down under to Dubai next year. We'll take you up to the VIP level. Inspired by optimism, ambition and creativity, when complete, it promises to take visitors on an experience of 60,000 years of innovation. Pavilions are said to be one of the centerpieces at Expo 2020. Countries will use the Expo 2020 platform um, as a platform to amplify some of their messages, their visions for the future, to showcase their art, their history, their music, their gastronomy, but also to showcase some of their technologies and innovative solutions um, to some of the, the most pressing challenges that the world faces today. One country hoping to do just that is Norway. Their ship-shaped pavilion aims to take visitors on an immersive experience to showcase sustainable technologies for the world's oceans. We will also address something more important that, uh, that is a world concern, and that's the plastic issue. Uh, how, what, how do we clean up the uh, ocean plastics? Uh, and uh, how do we stop the stream of plastic pouring into the oceans? And we really need to change the way we produce the plastic and, and how we use the plastic. We're gonna challenge also the politicians because we know that we have all the uh, technology we need to make a dramatic change. But we really need brave politicians taking bold decisions. Millions of visitors are expected to attend Expo 2020 under the theme of connecting minds, creating the future. This is as the world comes together for what is set to be one of the largest public events next year and an opportunity to discuss the most pressing challenges in a post-pandemic world. John Defterius, CNN, Dubai. Bitcoin's hitting an all-time high to more than 23,000. Paul LaMonica is with me. Uh, Paul, why? Yeah, it's a stunning move. I think, Richard, that all of a sudden you have a lot of investors 
once again looking at the state of the global economy. The dollar is weakening, and I think that people are viewing Bitcoin as a potential hedge against that, much in the way that gold has served that uh, function. And you have a you know, big UK-based investment firm, Ruffer, uh, making the case that they think Bitcoin is an inflation hedge, and they've moved a lot of their money, about $750 million into Bitcoin. Uh, you know, an executive at BlackRock made a, a similar comment not that long ago. So this is driving Bitcoin higher. And obviously, it's a bit concerning because of how dramatic the rise has been in such a short period of time. And basically, unregulated. Not to a certain extent. I mean, there are still concerns about Bitcoin kind of being the wild, wild west of the, the currency and commodity markets. But you're having more regulations coming in and more legitimacy of Bitcoin with the likes of companies like Square and PayPal adopting Bitcoin as a payment platform. So you don't really have as many right. of the big worries about Bitcoin being unregulated the way it was a few years ago. Paul Monica, Paul, thank you. Now, before I leave you today, and I will show you the markets at the end, uh, that is first move. We'll have more on the snow and crest means the business, but I do want to show you. Now, last night in my backyard, a valiant attempt. The snow was falling, but I wasn't going to let Frosty or Santa fall over. Oh, well, maybe I couldn't help myself. It was bitterly cold. Uh -huh. What I was thinking of, there we go. In you go. <laughs> Look at it. Talk about what a mess. Freezing. And I'm delighted to say they did stay upright just about until I switched the lights off. And when I woke up this morning, well, they were having a lie down. All right. Saving Christmas one way or another. The market's going to let you see what's happening with them uh, as I leave you for today. Uh, the markets are higher. The Nasdaq's at a record. The Dow's now over 30. 30,200. So I think we're well and truly going to see some records by the close of play tonight. I will have the close of play for you on Questwin's business. That's in many hours from now. Whatever you're up to, between now and then, I hope it's profitable. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.